0: Hello, Ignite, uh, brothers and sisters. It is good to be with you virtually. Um, We are here, I think it's called El Gal Shaddai, the room that we we used to meet in, and it is a totally different experience being in an empty room um, and and preaching to an empty room. Uh, But what I I appreciate about this, and and thank you, Alex, for making the time to help record this, um, is that I have fond memories um, of being gathered here with you. Um, I have fond memories of singing with you Um, and I wanted to be here uh, partly because uh, there's some family members of mine that are sick um, and so recording in our home wasn't feasible. Um, But also I wanted to be reminded of those memories um, even though I can't be with you physically. Um, And so I hope you hear uh, my affection um, in in wanting to be with you physically and my regret and remorse and that's not possible uh, and that's not possible almost around the world, definitely around the country um, because of COVID-19. And everyone's had to make tremendous adjustments because of that. Um, And a lot of my sermon is based on that today. Um, And so let me share a little bit about what Garden City is doing. Alex just shared with me about how um, you guys are doing video sermons. Um, And so let me share a little bit about what Garden City is doing. We don't do video sermons as part of our culture. And what we're doing is kind of a guided Bible study through what we call our discipleship culture guidebook. So it's like a hand printed book, about 60 pages, that we just did a seminar on, and we're walking through that uh, chapter by chapter um, in life groups. And so last Sunday we gathered as life groups, watched a video guiding us through the, the first the introduction of the handbook, um, and then watched a video of singing, sing together, um, and then was uh, watched a video of a prayer. Actually I led the I led our group through a prayer time um, and then dreamed together. Um, what we can do in this season. So there's four, um, four sections, four phases, if you will. Um, engage, um, singing, uh, praying, and then dreaming. And we kind of have guided discussions around that. And then this Sunday, since we're not supposed to gather at all, even in groups of, uh, in any groups, um, we're gonna be getting together with our live groups virtually. Um, and so all the materials online, um, hopefully it'll help you. If you need some more material in addition to what you're doing, feel free to check it out, gardencitysv.com. Uh, I mentioned last time, um, I'm also planting a church in September, um, and now obviously <laughs> looking for a location has been challenging um, because we were looking at schools, and now schools are closed down. And I know colleges, uh, a lot of colleges have ended um, their semester or quarter uh, for the year, taking everything online, um, and aren't going to be open again in the fall. So there's some crazy changes going on um, all over the country, all over the world, um, and there's going to be a new normal. And so. Uh, please hear my message in light of that. And today's message, the title of it, is Love Everyone, Love Everyone, and it's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. And what, it is, what it's predicated on is many times the way we love people, we claim to be others-focused, uh, but it actually is self-centered. And so some of the ways in which that happens is we uh, value um, competence over hierarchy. For instance, um, we also value um, behavioral change. It's two, three things: competence, behavioral train, change, and we value judgment. And so, I'm going to talk about those things in the context of First Thessalonians 5:12 through 15. And we're also going to talk about ways to apply this passage. Um, in the context of COVID-19 um, in the context of shelter in place what what do those things look like Okay, so let me read the passage if you can turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 through 15 we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Okay, first Thessalonians five, that's twelve through fifteen, that I just read and as we look at that those verses you're going to notice um, there's three types of relationships there are relationships with those above you there's relationships with those below you and then there's relationships with your peers with those around you and so what i'm going to do is each point of this message is how to love those above you how to love those below you and how to love those around okay and the first one is to love those above you okay so in, in, in verse 12 it says we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And for sure, this has to do with church leadership. Okay? This church it deals with church leadership and it's about the whole importance of hierarchy. Um, it includes church elders, it certainly includes pastors, and what I appreciate whenever I um, come to ignite is I'm addressed as Pastor Fred. Um, we don't say Pastor Fred at Guard City. Um, Usually in the immigrant church, people are referred to as pastors. I appreciate that, um, and it, it um, conveys respect and it conveys honor, um, and that is what uh, Paul is talking about um, in addressing the Thessalonian church. Um, I would add, however, Paul does not explicitly um, label pastors in this. Okay, and so when, um, and, and so what he's doing is he's saying anyone who is above you um, or labors among you. And so what he's explicitly meaning to tell isn't just people, vocational pastors, people who make their living um, through the gospel, which includes myself, he's talking about a much broader category, which includes him, um, those who labor in the Lord on behalf of the church. Okay, those who are involved in in the church service. So for example, Alex, recording this video today, Um, definitely Pastor Jason, Um, those who are on staff, but also deacons, those who volunteer their time, um, people who are involved in dis- making disciples of people within the church. At Garden City of the deacons, um, it's the life group leaders, which are deacons. Um, those are the ones who labor among you. And I want it to be noted that it doesn't say we, um, we respect those who labor among us because of their competence. has nothing to do with competence. And in our culture today, uh, we value hierarchy as long as that hierarchy is competent. Um, If you're at the top of any organization, the expectation is that you are competent, you are good at what you do. And there's a a sense within the culture, especially corporate culture, um, that you got to the point you're at um, because of your competence, because you are good at what you do. And yet, in viewing this statement, and I think especially as Asians, we understand this, You, um, in the words of Band of Brothers, you salute the rank, not the man. You salute the rank, not the man. And what that means is in the context of the show, Band of Brothers, uh, there's the U.S. Army Major, Richard Winters, who initially in the series reports to Captain Herbert Sobel. And what happens in the course of uh, Band of Brothers, in the course of the episodes, um, Winters is promoted um, past, is uh, advances in rank uh, past uh, Sobel. And there's one point in the show where Winters passes by Sobel and Sobel refuses to salute him. And what Winters says is what I just, and I'll repeat, is you salute the rank, not the man. Because Sobel does not feel Winters is worthy of his respect. For him, it's a matter of competence. And yet, what, uh, what Major Winters is saying is that you salute the rank. It is about the hierarchy. You respect the hierarchy. There are those of us who labor in the Lord, and they are worthy of respect. Not because they are competent, but because God has placed them in authority. And so how does that relate to us today? Well, it certainly relates to us from a societal standpoint the Shelter-in-Place Directive by, the San, by Santa Clara County has is, um, is been issued um, as a directive for, from the God-given authorities um, around us. Right? This is not church authority, this is secular authority, but we are called to heed it. Now, there has been a lot of uh, controversy or, or uh, broadly defining what means essential business, essential functions, right? And yet, we are not just called to obey the letter of the law. We're also called to obey, as Christians, the spirit of it, and to respect the rank, uh, not just the man. To salute the rank, not just the man. Um, Another area where I've been uh, witnessing this is with my son. And again, this is not in a church context, but it's easily applicable. In fact, for me, it's applicable. Um, My son, Micah, who I think some of you met at the uh, Youth Leaders Retreat, um, is a Boy Scout. And as a Boy Scout, he Uh, was the senior patrol leader. They call him the SPL, and that's the highest rank within the Boy Scouts. And he reported to the Scoutmaster, who's the dad um, in the troop. And the Scoutmaster essentially runs and oversees all the functions of the Boy Scout troop. And Micah, while he was SPL, um, had a lot of conflict with our Scoutmaster. Um, and some of those conflicts had to do with Micah had, this very, had, had a lot of new ideas, and he felt like he knew what would be fun and enjoyable for the Boy Scouts. And I think in, in most cases, he, he was right. He did know what was fun and enjoyable um, for the troop. Um, and the Scoutmaster, on the other hand, had a different idea. A lot of his ideas were about what had been done in the past. And, and you could see where this is headed. Um, and so Micah um, did not view um, his Scoutmaster as competent. He did not see him as uh, as having the best ideas or being in touch with where the rest of the boys were. And unfortunately, as a result, he uh, talked disrespectfully to the Scoutmaster. He interrupted him. He cut him off. Um, he corrected him. Um, he shared ideas, and well, I shouldn't say shared ideas. He almost demanded for his ideas to be uh, executed. Um, and it, it turned out we had to have uh, a conversation between the Scoutmaster, Micah, and myself all present um, where Micah had to apologize. And I think about that and it was hard, not because I, uh, I didn't, not because I was necessarily angry uh, with Micah. I think what was hard about that conversation is I saw my own heart um, reflected in my son. I saw myself reflected back. And I saw my own disrespect and my own value for competence over hierarchy Um, in the way that he responded. And I've experienced that uh, many times in my own relationship with church authority and church elders and lead pastors. There is such a temptation um, to not respect those who are above me. And yet what Paul is saying is we respect those who are in authority over us, um, especially those who labor among us. And it has nothing to do with their competence or or how good they are as leaders. Um, and at this time, when we are trying to figure out what church looks like, I encourage you to follow the lead of those who labor among you and to submit to their leadership. And if you have ideas, fantastic. But would you communicate them respectfully? Um, so that's the first point. Would you love those who are above you by respecting them? The second is to love those who are below you. And that is having patience over behavioral change. Now, verse 14. Verse uh, 14. Verse 14 says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There's three categories of people that Paul's addressing. There are the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak. So how do I know they are below? How do I know that they're below you in the hierarchy? Well, it says here, we respect those who labor among you. Who are over you in the Lord, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So twice in verse 12 is a reference to work and to labor, and the first reference in verse 14 is to admonish the idle. What does idle mean? They're not working. Okay. So we value those who are doing a certain kind of work, work for the Lord, and then those who are not. And they're not doing really any kind of work. The idol, we're supposed to admonish. So that's, that's the hierarchy element. So those who are below us are the idle. They're not doing anything. And the faint-hearted, because they're probably not doing anything either because they're scared. And then lastly, the weak, right? So in those, those are the three categories that we view as below us. And again, I don't mean below in terms of worth or value. I mean below in terms of function. They're the ones that have obstacles for them to be able to fully function. And the function in this case is labor, is the ability to work. Um, and so, number one, um, there is a role for us in loving those below us, right? Number one, to admonish, to encourage those who are not working, okay? Those who are not doing any kind of labor, to encourage them to, do some, to make some kind of effort, either to provide for themselves or, and or provide for others. Make the most productive use of your time. That has to be what Paul is, is saying. He also says, encourage the faint-hearted. Those who don't have courage, would you encourage them? And a lot of times we say, we think about that as giving them advice and telling them what to do. I think there's a lot of other ways to encourage the faint-hearted, and I'm going to talk about those. Um, Helping the weak. Now, right now, there's tremendous opportunity to help those who are weak, right? Um, The city of San Jose just uh, launched a website called Silicon Valley Strong, where there are opportunities to volunteer um, to deliver food to the elderly and to those who have medical conditions who can't get out of the house to buy groceries on their own. Um, And I think that's tremendous. That is absolutely an expression of what it means to help the weak. But I think the most important thing here is he says, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. And again, just like previously, where it's not conditional. A lot of times when we help those who are below us, there are conditions. We want their behavior to change, especially for those who are idle. I mean, I think our culture particularly, and especially this area, we look down on those who we view as lazy. So for instance, let me ask you, and and I can't can't really ask you, but uh, let me have you think about, what is the appropriate amount of time someone has to find a job before you would view them as lazy, okay? What's the appropriate amount of time where someone's jobless um, before you would view them as being idle, okay? I think for me, probably around three months. And the funny thing is I think three months, no matter what the person's job, no matter what the job conditions are, no matter what the person's giftedness is, no matter, no matter what, the, what the circumstances are. And so three months is kind of honestly ridiculous to think about, right? That I can have a number in my head, even though people's circumstances and people themselves vary tremendously. And what Paul is saying here is, would you be patient with them all? A lot of times we expect people who are idle and the faint hearted and the weak, the weak to become strong the faint-hearted to become courageous, and the idols to start working. And oftentimes it just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. And Paul is saying, would you be patient with them all? Because our culture values behavioral change. We want people to change quickly, and we think it's our job to help them by giving them advice. Could I suggest to you that in this time, your greatest role in loving people especially those who are below you, is not giving advice, okay? Um, It is to help them in the ways that they receive, in the ways that they can receive best. So let me give some examples. In my previous church, it was a Chinese church, I worked with substance abuse addicts. And a lot of the ways that we could love them, frankly, was just to be patient. It was so easy to teach a Bible study and expect um, behavioral change. For instance, to walk away from their addiction, to learn how to um, read the Bible, um, to get along well with others, to have emotional stability, to find a job. there was like probably a list of uh, 10,000 different things that they could have worked on. But the thing that I think was most valuable and important um, for this group of people that were both weak, faint-hearted, and struggled with idleness was to be patient with them, was to journey with them through the course of life and let them know, hey, we're not leaving. We are still here. And even if you relapse back in your addiction, we're still going to continue to believe in you. And that is a tremendous ministry and it's one of the hardest things, to continue to minister and be patient with another person because our culture values behavioral change so much. So let me give some specific examples of how you can do that in this season. I really appreciate um, how people have sent me text messages to check in on me. I think it's been fantastic. I love that... uh, I love that Um, I've gotten text messages from all kinds of people checking in and making sure I'm okay and yet the people that are most vulnerable the people that are elderly or struggle with health conditions they may not be texting that much there's a man in our church named Rick Sanders he has leukemia Um, he doesn't own a cell phone and uh, the only way to reach him is by a landline so as a church we don't text him, we need to call him there's another woman I know from my previous church name's Nancy. Um, she's a widow. She's in her 70s. Um, and she explicitly asked people, do not uh, text me. <laughs> Give me a phone call. And so oftentimes we want to speak the love language that we're used to, that we're accustomed to. Can I ask that in this time, that you speak the love language of the person that you want to love, not the one that is most natural or easy for you. So I'm not saying to stop texting. If if you want to text to check in on people, fantastic. I'm getting, you know, um, three or four texts a day, which is fantastic. I, I appreciate that. But I also appreciate it when someone gives me a call. Maybe I'm old school in that way. But for those who are vulnerable and marginalized and elderly and those in this time, would you love them in the way that they desire to be loved? And for some, and for many in that population, it means keeping your distance. So I recognize there's an importance to that. Um, but for a lot of people, it means checking in um, in a way that's not just virtual, okay? And that could include absolutely delivering food and finding ways to communicate. And it could be a handwritten letter. I know, who does that? Um, could I, but I, could I ask you to think creatively and not just in the ways our culture conventionally does, um, like sending a text message to love those who are around you and to do that with patience. I think one, um, one thing that, that COVID-19 has really highlighted is um, there are so many different marginalized people around. Um, and, it's, and right now, it's, it's, it's so difficult to come in contact with them. But there's a lot of creative ways in which we can engage. And so could you be thinking about that? You know, another example was Zanatos. it's a grocery stores chain, um, has had their store open from 8 to 9 um, in the morning just for seniors, just for the elderly, to be able to go in and no one else can come in. So those who are able-bodied can't grab toilet paper off the shelf before, before they get a first chance to, uh, to get it. Okay, love those below you. Patience over behavioral change, my last point. Love your peers. Mercy over judgment. Mercy over judgment. Our, our culture values evasion and the public call out as judgment. And oftentimes we place ourselves in the role of God when it comes to our relationships with others. And yet our job is to emulate God. And so it's not wrong to put ourselves in the place of God. And yet Paul gives a very specific regard in which we are to emulate God. And it is, terms, it is in terms of forgiveness and doing good to others. So let me, read that. let me read that verse again. This is verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Let me, let me read that again. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Okay, what's that mean? Number one, it says no one repays evil for evil. That is the principle of forgiveness. And usually, in the context of justice, evil is repaid for evil, was a punishment for evil. And that is God's job. And unless you are a God given, you've been placed in a God given authority to administer justice, whether a church leader or a governmental leader, your job is not to emulate God in that way. God is the one who brings justice. Your job is to emulate God in His forgiveness, is to uh, not repay evil with evil. And so, in this time, the way that we treat other people is not to repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So I think this this uh, so your job is not to judge others. Your job is to demonstrate mercy. It's God's job, and unless it's your role, it's God's job to administer justice. It's your job to forgive and to love others. Okay, and this this has a lot to do with this present circumstance because there's a lot of controversy and a lot of judgment between Christians about how to respond in this time. In fact, there's a rebellious part of me that wants to insist on continuing to gather in groups as the body of Christ in order to facilitate fellowship. And I recognize, for a, for a lot of people, including Christians, this is a oh, this is a disrespect of what uh, the governing authorities have said. But I do view um, the gathering of the believers as an essential function. And I even and I I of course view um, you know even me coming to uh, this room today as an essential function. And I recognize that many Christians would disagree. And so you'll see all over social media um, a lot of arguing about what is appropriate at this time. What constitutes helping people, um, and sometimes going out, of course, means helping people, but I I know some Christians would disagree, and the act of going out also um, is viewed as endangering people. Could we recognize that in both cases, the person who is is, uh, either going out or staying in is doing so because they want to seek the benefit of those around them? Okay. So could we be careful to judge people's intentions? Right? Because I believe people are being well-intentioned in what they're doing. And, and there's, a, there's freedom in how that is exercised. So could I ask you to have grace and mercy towards others and to recognize that we are, all trying, we are always seeking to do good to one another and to do everyone. Could I Could I ask that you assume the benefit of the doubt when people are going out or staying in um, there's a, there is a couple in our church who have been isolating themselves for close to two months because they have been tracking the coronavirus um, uh, in Asia. And they were ahead of this way before there was any county directive. And I want to confess, there was definitely judgment in my heart against them because I thought, oh my gosh, why are they being so fearful? And of course now, their actions um, have been pressure, where they were anticipating what was to come. And, they, um, and, they, and by their own admit, by, in, in my conversation with them, said, hey, you know what? We just wanna give the best chance possible for anyone who's vulnerable not to catch this disease. We wanna give the best chance possible. And so they had um, selfless motivations, not out of fear. They, they wanted to benefit others in their isolation. And I appreciate that motive. I may not have enacted it. I did not respond. I did not uh, enact that myself. Um, but I respect and appreciate their motivations. Um, so I, could I encourage you to be slow to judge others. And to look for ways in which you can bless people. And so in closing, um, I want to read uh, one last passage from Galatians 2.20. <clears throat> Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. At first glance, it may seem like that doesn't have anything to do with 1 Thessalonians, but uh, as I've thought about my ability to love people, there's so much of how I love people that is self-centered. And earlier I shared about... um, my own issues with authority, and with uh, my lead pastor from, from a previous church. And one of the challenges I had in that role was uh, my lead pastor wasn't great at communicating and casting vision. And for a long time, I really struggled with with resentment because I felt like, I, I sensed that I had to step in and fill that role, and I resented having to fill that role because I felt like it was his job to do so. And I, I want to confess, I did not um, respect him. Uh, Because he did not fit the expectations of what I thought a church leader should be. I did not view him as competent. And so I did not uh, heed, I did not obey uh, what the scripture is teaching and what God has spoken and commanded me to do. And I, I want you to think about the areas of your life where you lack respect for those around you. For those above you who labor among you. And I want you to think about when you have lacked patience with those who are below you. And I also want you to think about times where you have judged others and sought justice rather than forgiveness. So you've emulated God, but not in the way that he commands. And not only do you need forgiveness for that, but you need a new heart. You need to be a new person. And that's what Christ offers when you have faith in Jesus, the premise of that faith is not a one-time decision. You have been crucified with Christ, and you no longer live, but Jesus lives in you. In the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Your life today is by faith in a new identity. You are a new creation. Your old life is gone. The new life has come. You are able to live out these things because of the spirit of God in you. You are able to love those who are above you and to respect them. You are able to love and be patient with those below you regardless of whether they change. And you are able to love those around you in mercy rather than judgment. So would you go in that power today? Would you have the spirit unleash creativity in you as you figure out how to love people in this uncertain time? And may you rest in him as you trust him with this uncertainty. And so I hope my prayer is that our focus would be around ways we can love people creatively in this time rather than um, um, focusing on the uncertainty of what the future holds. You know, I was talking with someone today and we were um, they were asking about, hey, do you think this represents the end times? Is Jesus going to come back? And I'm not, um, I'm not interested in trying to forecast when Jesus is returning. There have been so many signs of that happening uh, that I'm not, I'm not interested in, in forecasting the exact time. What I do feel uh, convinced about is this. Uh, there have been pandemics throughout history. And one thing about being a first world nation is that we are largely insulated from those things. And so what we're experiencing right now is what people in most third-world countries, third world countries experience on a day-to-day basis. And we're, we're just getting a taste of their suffering. And my prayer is that in this time of suffering, we might view the scripture with a new lens and to realize the things that we're suffering is what they, was their daily experience. So what's a big life change for us was part of their daily experience. So would we figure out to love people in the way that they did? Let's pray together. Father God, Thank you for your grace to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for uh, your mercy and your forgiveness. Thank you that that was demonstrated by your death and resurrection. Lord, would you work in us to recognize that we not only have been forgiven, but we have been given a new life. We have been crucified with you. We are a new creation. And because of that, we are free to love those above us with respect. We are free to love those below us with patience. We are free to love those around us with mercy and not judgment. So God, would you uh, manifest clarity, not about the future. We don't get, man- we don't get clarity about the future. Um, our, our plan. We make our plans, but you have yours. Lord, would you manifest clarity today around how we can obey you. How we can creatively um, obey you in loving others. May you manifest creativity. May you fill us with your spirit in how we love others, to submit, um, to love those around us that are weak, and to help them in the language that uh, speaks most to them. We trust you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.